I know that my life won't be everybody's story. I get that. But I just think when we surrender to God in certain areas, I think God honors the surrender. Yeah. And and we don't have to work as hard as we think we do. We just have to be willing, open, and surrender. Hello, welcome to the Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthardt, and I'm part of the Wellspring team. As a pastor for almost 30 years, I've had the privilege and opportunity to experience ministry from the inside out. And now as part of the Wellspring team, I get to walk with other pastors and leaders along with the rest of our staff and team to help them bridge the disconnect that often exists between our inner and outer life. We're talking about paying attention to your soul. It's no exaggeration to say that this last year has been difficult, extraordinarily so, at so many levels. Not only the pandemic and political divisiveness, but but racial issues that have surfaced once again in extremely painful ways in our country. So I'm so thankful for today's guest to speak into those and also to talk about his own soul and his connection to us here at Wellspring and Soul Care. Ephraim Smith actually grew up right around the corner from Cup Foods, the shop near where George Floyd died in Minneapolis. He later on became a church planter and he served as the founding pastor of Sanctuary Covenant Church, a multi-ethnic congregation in North Minneapolis. He was also president of World Impact, has written several books. He's now the co-pastor of Bayside Church Midtown, an intentionally diverse congregation in Sacramento. He's been connected to Wellspring for some time. I think you're going to find today's conversation extremely helpful and encouraging. Well, Ephraim, it is so great to be with you, and thank you so much for making time uh, to just have this conversation today. And so, um, we've introduced you a little bit on our on our intro here already, but I think it'd be great. I'd love to just hear a little more of your journey, like kind of like where did you grow up, and what was you know what was your family like, what was your faith journey like as you sure, grew up? Sure, uh, I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and so. Um, Grew up in the frozen tundra. Oh my! <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, but um, uh, grew up in the church. I mean, my my family was connected to church, and um, and so I, I I went to church with my family. Uh, started in a predominantly African American Baptist church, right. uh, and so went went to um, a church called Redeemer Missionary Baptist Church on Sundays with my family. And then in the middle of the week, uh, once I was in high school, uh, some friends that I went to high school with invited me to a, um, a Methodist church that was becoming more and more multi-ethnic, multi-racial. Okay. And, um, and th- that was mainly because the youth group was so diverse. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the youth group at a, at a Methodist church, Park Avenue church on Wednesday nights. And uh, the summer before my uh, junior year in high school, uh, Park Avenue uh, Methodist Church had this this outdoor outreach event. It was, it was almost like a like a parking lot revival where they would set up okay. a huge stage and they would have choirs and different music artists and uh, gospel artists and and they would have speakers. And so uh, and they did this every summer for a week in July. They would start on a Sunday night and go every night to the next Sunday night with music and a speaker. And um, and they would give out free hamburgers and hot dogs and mm. chips and sodas. And so I would ride my bike over to this event. And so um, one particular night, a guy named John Perkins was, oh, sure. was preaching. And, uh, you know, he's, for those that may not know him, I mean, he's just... Uh, you know, almost lost his life during the civil rights movement in Mississippi and has just been known for years as a as just a pivotal 
prophetic voice in the areas of racial reconciliation and righteousness and biblical justice. So one night he's he's preaching this message on reconciliation to God and reconciliation in Christ to one another. And I end up going forward and um, accepting Christ. And, wow. um, and so um, I, I simultaneously, even though I grew up in church, yeah. like remember I was going to church with my family, but I realized that night that I had not really for myself outside of my parents and my grandmother. And I had not for myself made a decision to accept Jesus Christ in a, in a very deep personal way. So, mm. but so, I, so I, 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 I surrendered my life to Christ, but I was also so compelled and so moved by Dr. Perkins's message on racial reconciliation. So, this is an interesting story. I go home that night and I tell my parents that I became a Christian. And, How did that go? <laughs> and, and so my mom says, oh, she, my, you know, my dad's listening. My mom's all excited. And okay. she says, well, you know, when I was pregnant with you, my grandmother who had passed away came to me in a dream and said, that baby on the inside of you is going to be a preacher. And he's going to preach to people of different races and backgrounds to thousands of people. Wow. Well, wow. yeah. Wow. But I didn't want to hear that. I mean, I, I just wanted to tell my mom and dad I became a Christian. I didn't want my mom to tell me I was going to be a pastor. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. She'd get a little ahead a, of it. Go ahead of things. Right. I was, I was like 16. I was like, I didn't, oh, want, to, yeah. I didn't want to be a preacher. Let's just, I just, wanted let's to, just start here. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess my mom was right because you know here no I am. No doubt that that turned and, out to be pretty true, huh? Yeah, and so and so I, I would say that my life journey has been one of uh, you know growing up in the city, um, growing up in the church, and becoming a Christian, and sensing this call to uh, ministry that reconciles people to God through Christ Jesus, but also is intentional on racial reconciliation and racial righteousness. Yeah, I mean, that's that's amazing to me and so fascinating because it sounds like right from the very beginning of your faith journey, there was this, you know, both vertical and horizontal dimension to the gospel where we often, it seems like in the typical evangelical church, which I, I've grown up in and many of us, uh, that probably listen to this have grown up in is there's it's it's all about getting you reconciled to god through jesus which is obviously foundational but it sounds like from the very beginning there was this also horizontal dimension of reconciliation to one another across all kinds of divides is that that's just been part of it from the beginning yes yes and and i from the moment i became a christian as a teenager i started wrestling with well, why is the church divided by race? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why, why is the church mostly seen through the lens of the white church and the black church? And what if mm -hmm. you're not white and not black, then where do you fit in the yeah. church in the United States of America? Are you just, if you're Asian, you just have to be a part of an Asian church. If you're Hispanic, mm -hmm. you just have to be a part of a Hispanic church or you have to assimilate like, and, and so I wrestled with that. I mean, in college, I, I, I wrestled a lot with, the issue of race. Um, you know, I was a theater and communications major in, mm. in undergrad before I ended up going on the seminary and to get a degree in theology. But um, mm. when I was an undergrad, I would, I would watch the documentary Eyes on the Prize over and over again. I would, when I, you know, when I wasn't in class and when I wasn't, you know, I'd go to the library to do homework. And when I finished, I'd, I'd go and rent one of the videos of Eyes on the Prize and I would go and, and just put my headphones on and just watch it. And I was just, I, I, was, I was moved, I was gripped, I was grieved by what I watched, but I was really moved by Martin Luther King Jr. And so mm. it, it was there that I kinda, I, I coupled this whole notion of the racial reconciliation message of John Perkins with the beloved community vision 
of Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. Boy, there's so much. I feel like we could just probably camp out right there for a few hours. But what um, I think that's that's something that people may be listening to this. They may have heard that phrase uh, that Dr. King talked about, uh, the beloved community. Can you expand on that a little bit for, for us? What, you know, what, what did he, what was he talking about? Well, when Dr. King talked about beloved community, he was, he was showing the real ends, the real goal, the real vision of the civil rights movement. Some mm -hmm. people just see Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as a, as a political figure, hmm. as, as a great orator who led a social movement for equality. And, and that's true, but he was a pastor. He was a theologian. I mean, he wasn't a politician at heart. He, right. was, he was a churchman. Right. He, you know, he, he wasn't running for governor. He wasn't running for U.S. Senate. He wasn't running for president. He, I mean, it was definitely a social movement, mm -hmm. but it was a spiritual movement. Yeah. So many times when King would preach, he would remind the listeners of what the true goal that, you know, yes, equality, yes, a, an end to institutionalized racial discrimination, but he would say, but the end of all this is beloved community. And he would mm -hmm. also mention in many of his messages, he would say, and, and the beloved community can only come about through the reconciliation, the redemption found through Christ Jesus, the love of God shown through Christ. So for me, I, I believed that when King was talking about beloved community, he was talking about the kingdom of God. Yeah, absolutely. He was, he was, he was, he was saying the kingdom of God in a way that um, could have a wider reception. Mm. And so, mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, when he started talking about that the beloved community can't exist without the love of God found in Christ Jesus, that it's, it's, it's about redemption and reconciliation. I'm like, Oh, that's the kingdom of God. Right. And so, but the other thing that I think is important that over time, that whole notion of beloved community, mm -hmm. there, there's a depth of intimacy here. Mm -hmm. Because, because for me, later, I, I would, beloved community went beyond my readings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to my readings of Henry Nowen, yeah. and my readings of, of, of Brendan Manning, uh, my, my readings of, of, um, Ruth Haley Barton. Sure. For me, that Go became, uh, uh, what, what does it mean to be the beloved of God? What, what does it mean to live in intimacy with God? So that if, you're, if, you, if your call is to racial reconciliation and righteousness, if your calling is to biblical justice, that that work is coming out of the overflow of intimacy with God and identity in Christ. Wow. Well, there's, I want to, I want to plunge into that here in a second. I, I, but I'm just struck by, I, I believe it was Dallas Willard who said, but it might've been someone else, but in the sort of the formation world, if you will. And it was, it's, it stuck with me for years. It said that the goal of God in human history is the formation of an all, in, all inclusive community of loving persons with Jesus Christ as its center, sustainer, and most glorious inhabitant. And I, and I, what you're describing, that sounds like, you know, Dr. King's vision. It sounds like it's really been the, the scripture's vision, right? When, you know, every, I, I was actually listening to a message of yours this morning from about, uh, about revelation, about what this picture we get in revelation of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation gathered before the throne of God. That's this vision that's been held out since, well, for, you know, for 2000 years, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so tell us, so, so you, you come to Christ in this multi-ethnic kind of experience there and your, and your heart is stirred for this kind of community. I don't know. I, I don't know what that, did that community live up to what you hoped it would, even as, as a young, 
you know, follower of Jesus or what, what were you experiencing in that, um, that youth group or even in that church that was trying to come together? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I can say now looking back on it, I didn't realize it then at the moment, but, but looking back on it, I, I realized how hard it is, how challenging it is for the church to become multi-ethnic, multi-racial when it didn't start that way in the beginning. Mm. Mm. It's not that it's impossible. It's not impossible for a homogeneous church to become a multi-ethnic and reconciling church. It's possible. It's just so much harder mm. and there's so much more tension and, and conflict. It, it's just more messy yeah. when you're trying to take a homogeneous church and move it to becoming a multi-ethnic and reconciling church versus planting a church, starting a church from mm. the very beginning. And mm. so, you know, like when I was at Park Avenue Church, I, I always sensed that as, as Park Avenue became more and more diverse and Park Avenue Church is, is very, very diverse uh, today, but, but I was there during the tremendous growing pains mm -hmm. of, you know, moving from uh, an all white upper middle class church to the, the community becoming integrated in the 60s and 70s through families like mine moving into the neighborhood and this church. And, and when so many churches like Park Avenue United Methodist in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, in the early 80s, left the city and went to the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And yet Park Avenue was willing to stay. But they mm. went through moments where they would lose people. I mean, um, the, the more multi-ethnic they became at first, they they lost hundreds of people that yeah. that left the church because that wasn't the church they signed up for. Like they like they felt like they lost their church or somebody yeah. took it from right. them somehow. And they mm. didn't want to say, "Well, I'm upset because black people are here," or "I'm upset <laughs> because brown people are here." And 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 looking back on it, I don't think they would have saw it that way. I, I wouldn't say they were racist necessarily. I would just say they were absorbing the losing their church, like uh, of going, like you, you could have an all white church and it could be an intergenerational conflict. It could be a younger generation is now attending the church and they're stepping into roles of leadership and service and power. And the older folks in the church start feeling like this isn't our church anymore. They changed the music. Right. They're dressed, they're wearing jeans to church. Right. Coffee in the sanctuary. What <laughs> happened to our church? So, you know what I mean? Like, so, yes. so it doesn't have to necessarily be racial, mm. I, 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 you know, to, to that degree of the person's responding because they're strictly because they're mad that black people are in their church. It, it could very well be. It's because I didn't intend to share power in this mm. way. I wasn't mm. expecting because our church is diverse. The music is changing. Yeah. Now, now they're doing black gospel music. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I think it could be ethnic. It could be generational people um, get discombobulated when they experience the church as they know it changing. I, I you know, I, I, I'd love to, to unpack a little bit with you, Ephraim, because you, you know, you're obviously a very, you're a high capacity leader. You know, you've, you've, pastored, led organizations. Um, some might say you parts of what you've done have been caring for people, social activism, if you will. There's been a lot that you've been part of and experienced. What do you think are some of the unique challenges? And then, I mean, even as you talk about leading a, a multi-ethnic church, that's, I mean, I think many people hearing that say, wow, that sounds so great and beautiful, but it's got a, a whole bunch of challenges too, I would imagine that are unique too so you know what yeah. what what is it about um 
a, a soul, you know, because you were drawn to that too, to, yes. to, to something that would take, that would care for deep parts of you. What, what was it that you found, you know, as you engaged with more uh, soul care type things that was, what, what resonated with you? Well, I think that um, I was already sold on emotional, spiritual health. Mm. I mean, mm -hmm. I am, I'm fortunate to know Pete Scazzaro mm. and had spent time with Pete Scazzaro, read his books. Mm -hmm. So I was sold on the idea of ministry should come out of the overflow of intimacy with God, identity in Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Activity should come out of the overflow of intimacy. I was sold on that idea. I just didn't know a lot of practical ways ways to put that into practice. So, yeah. you know, on my own, I, I, you know, I was trying to keep a rhythm of having a day alone with God. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, working to stay consistent in, am I in the word? Am I in prayer? But sometimes you get to a place of where you are, you know, in a, in a role like president of world impact. I mean, really, I mean, I was on a plane a lot. I was, I mean, there, there were times when I was gone for five days, come home for a week, go back out for five days, go down and stay at our, our hub ministry hub in LA. Two weeks later, go stay at our ministry hub in Wichita. Like, and I thought, you know what? My life rhythm is being dominated by activity, not mm. intimacy. And I found even being back in the local church, that still can happen. Even if you're not traveling a lot, uh, you living out a commitment to shepherd in the local church can drive you to activity. It's what's, it's, it's really what's leading you, not intimacy. So the reason I needed soul care is I needed something that was more intense that would recalibrate my being, yeah. you know, something yeah, well. that, because look, we're all human, you know? So we're all, every, every one of us still has uh, the, the great possibility that we'll slip back into activity dominating our lives. But, but what I find is after going through soul care, that was such an enriching, transformative experience that, that I feel like it built something in me that when I find myself in the mode of being activity driven, mm -hmm. something grips me and reminds me to get back to intimacy. Mm. Wow, I just love that, that description. Because it, it feels like there's so much, whether whether in ministry or anything, really, honestly, we, it's so easy to just get driven by the demands of activity, of doing, right? And and you're talking about paying attention to that. And I love that being drawn to, and but but that our doing, our activity flows out of intimacy versus intimacy getting squeezed out. That's really that's really yes. powerful. Yes. And so, like I said, I, 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 you know, this COVID season, you know, yeah, this season yeah. of COVID and political polarization oh. and racial unrest and trying to figure out, are we going to be in the building this month? Or are we right. just going to be online? How are we going to reach our people? What do we do when there's a funeral? What do we do about weddings? What do we do about people in the hospital? What do we mm -hmm. do about people in our church who have COVID? And it's like, in this season, you know, this this was one of those moments where I, I had to reach out to Wellspring and, you know, and, and was just so blessed by staff that, again, walked with me and just helped me, again, recalibrate, realign myself to, to, to get back to intimacy mm. uh, and not be dominated 
by activity. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, you know, Ephraim, I'm imagining that this last year, you've, as you talked about, there's been obviously with COVID and as a pastor, that's been so, we talked to so many pastors, it's so disorienting. And to, how do you shepherd people when you can't even see them and, and connect with them? And that's been huge. And, and then all the, um, you know, racial, the, the, the surfacing of racial injustice and issues of that's been so polarizing that and just all kinds of political polarization. But, but I want, it seems like you particularly, I'm guessing have been, have been, been placed in sort of a on the spot, if you will, people asking you to speak to and address things as, uh, as a pastor, as a leader, as a faith leader. I mean, that that's gotta be draining. I mean, is it you? I mean, I I'm just sort of projecting here, but I'm picturing you just get get weary of all everybody kind of coming at you and and saying, well, "Will you speak to this? And will you talk to this? And what's what do you think?" And does that get tiring? Oh yes, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, even though I know that that's part of my calling, mm-hmm. that um, to to sense a call to multi ethnic urban ministry, ministry of racial reconciliation and righteousness, it's tiring because it's it's a place of spiritual warfare. I mean, mm-hmm. all ministry, the, the Christian life in general mm-hmm. is spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. But there there's a there's a unique distinctive dimension of spiritual warfare when your your call is to racial reconciliation, to to ministry in under-resourced communities, in um, parts of our nation uh, where there's a significant unchurched mission field. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Sacramento, I think on any given weekend, pre-COVID, on any given weekend, only about eight to 9% of mm-hmm. of the of the folks in Sacramento or in church. I know right. I know it's less than that in the Bay Area. Yeah, about so, four. Yeah. Yeah. So um so so that 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 definitely uh can cause one to be weary. Mm-hmm. But again for me I um I I, I had to wrestle with if I if I'm more transparent of not letting weariness drive me uh, into um, dark nights of the soul, mm. but instead uh, drive me to God, to intimacy. Again, you're going to have night, dark nights of the soul. You're going to have valley moments, but you, you just don't want to retreat there too long. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, I mean, I'd, re- I'd rather drive through the valley I'd rather walk through the valley than camp out in the valley. <laughs> you know, set up a tent. <laughs> yeah, in, the, in in a dark night of the soul. And so, again, I, I had to remind myself that man, I'm absorbing a lot, mm-hmm. and the reason I'm I'm so tired is not just because of all the social dynamics, but because I can't do this in my own power. Mm-hmm. Ephraim can't do this, but, but God can and God, God in me and God through me can do things that I'm not able to sustain in my own power and my own strength, which is why um, I know that I can't pastor in the way that I sense I'm called to pastor without deep dependence, um, consistent intimacy and encounters with the father. Boy, and can I ask, and you know, I'm not asking you to lay out your time with God in, in detail or anything, but what, what are, what are the kinds of practices or rhythms? Uh, what, what helps sustain you and yeah, yeah, when you're when you're just yeah weary or discouraged. Yeah, I mean you know uh, walks have been good for me. I mean especially mm. in this COVID season, getting out mm-hmm. and getting vitamin D and yeah. just getting out and walking and 
and, and paying more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not just walking for exercise, but walking and, and asking God to, to um, reignite my sense of awe mm. in creation, my sense mm. of wonder yeah. um, of just looking at the mountains and taking that in more, looking at the sky. Look, you know, um, I, I live in a part of Sacramento where I'm kind of on the edge of like, there, there's, there's an urban side to where I live. And then I, you know, I can walk and see people riding horses and see, oh, wow. and see vineyards you know, and so um, to be able to see the diversity of creation mm-hmm. and to see somebody driving a car and then walk half a mile or so and see somebody riding a horse. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and, just, and just take that all in and go, what is God trying to say to me in that? What is God mm-hmm. trying to show me in that? What is mm-hmm. God trying to remind me of in that? Um, I, I love jazz. So mm-hmm. listening to instrumental music, you know, so sometimes, you know, when you're in ministry, you're in a life full of words. Yeah. Yeah. And some of those, some of those words are coming out of me. So, <laughs> and so I, I love jazz because I, sometimes I just go, what does it mean to be enriched, to be, um, to be uh, loved on through music with no words? Yeah. And just allow yeah. the notes just allowed the ad libs from the piano or the saxophone or the trumpet and and just and just let the music speak to you with no words so Mm. so jazz is like a uh you know music is 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 a is a big part and then i just there's stuff that i just feel like that i just enjoy doing that that i go oh you know it all my retreat time doesn't have to be um just I'm in the word of God, I'm in prayer, I'm on a prayer walk, I'm listening to a, a Devo or a message, you know, from another pastor, because, you know, I need to be pastored too. But, you know, those moments where I just go, oh, I'm just somewhere sitting down, drinking hot tea and reading a comic book. There you go. There you go. Yeah, find what's life-giving and joy. Yeah. I love that. And of course I gotta, you know, I have to comment on the jazz cause my, um, I have two sons. My middle son is a jazz uh, musician, trumpet player. And so I, I got introduced to jazz, uh, probably in the last decade or so, but more through my kids and, uh, oh man. And like, you know, it's le- learning, a, the even more of a, a musical language, man, it's been such a, oh, there's so much there. What a gift. I do want to ask you, so, you know, you talk about these practices and rhythms to sustain you. I, and that's so important, I think, for people to hear. Like, what is it that to even notice what even particularly brings life to you, you know, and in in notice how, you know, just what sparks that, uh, the, that life and joy inside of you. I'm, I'm curious, too, because it just seems like, I don't know, you've inhabited spaces where... Uh, it's, I, I just can imagine it's got to be really discouraging when you see either whether it's it willful ignorance or intentional ignorance or, or even hate-filled words or, 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 or just injustice or, or oppression, you name it. And it's like it's one thing to see it in our culture, and then it's another layer of it seems like to me I experience it even far more discouraging when I see it in some form or another in, in people that name Jesus as their as their king is their god how what do you do when because i for me i i'll just speak for myself i i get mad i want to put people in a category of you're bad you're wrong and and you know you know jesus says love people that that are even our enemies and to disagree with this and that sounds really good and right and yet boy to actually do that how, how do you navigate that space of when you know people that uh, call themselves followers of Jesus and yet you experience such um, difficult things from them. Yeah. uh, You know, 
I, I, I have to remind myself that the scripture shows us that sin is not just housed in the soul of human beings. Sin is housed in the structures and institutions and ideologies that sinful people develop, build, mm. create. Mm. Um, and we even find in scripture that even the people that God makes a covenant with struggle. We, we struggle with the temptations of idolatry and injustice because of this broken, sinful world we're in. I mean, I even think, oh, I even think about um, the, the people that walk the closest with Jesus, like Peter. I mean, Peter denied Jesus. Yeah. Then was shown such tremendous grace by the resurrected Jesus. Mm. And then even after Peter gets the Holy Spirit, he still struggles with prejudice. That's true. That's I mean, true. I mean, he has to decide whether he's going to go to Cornelius's house or not. I mean, so That's, so yeah. here's a here's a guy that I mean saw things, I mean that I won't even be close to seeing Ty get to heaven. Mm. I mean, he walked with Jesus. Mm. He saw the resurrected Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was one of the first people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And he was prejudiced. Yeah. <laughs> he, wow. had he had discrimination in his heart, in his soul. Wow. Wow. So I go, well, if that's the case, even though it grieves my heart, I shouldn't be surprised that Christians struggle with prejudice, mm. envy and jealousy and unforgiveness and hatred. I shouldn't mm. be surprised that if Christians in the first century were influenced by false teachings and by the structures and powers of the Roman Empire, then I shouldn't be surprised that even today, uh, as Christians, our, our Christian walk can be contaminated or compromised by the structures and the systems and the ideologies uh, the institutions of this fallen, broken world. Um, what, what I feel called to do as a pastor is to lovingly, as best I can with God's empowerment, point people to a higher place of identity and citizenship. Mm -hmm. to, to call people to citizenship in the kingdom of God uh, being at the higher call than simply our citizenship in the United States of America. To, wow. to call people to identity in Christ, to, to live as cross-cultural disciple makers and not to become captive to political parties. Mm. Um, and so I think that's, that's what we have to do is to remind people that ultimately, the church should be an embassy of the kingdom of God. We should live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And the church should not be a mouthpiece for political liberalism or political conservatism. It, it ought to be the outpost of, of God's kingdom. Yeah. Well, amen to that. That's a, that's a great word. And so important. Couldn't get more timely. Um, can you give us some of your wisdom then and yeah, as you said, we're in such polarizing times, and it seems like, especially on social media, people aren't, it doesn't often seem to be dialogue, but rather, you know, people shouting at each other, even in all caps or whatever, or talking past one another, and people just finding people that agree with them and end up in an echo chamber, that kind of thing. What have you learned, or what would you share about how to have actual conversations and dialogue even with people that we might might not disagree agree with everything they have to say or even at all but how can we have a dialogue that can be constructive and, and helpful and not just i don't know more antagonism and anger yeah well i think we have to remember that we're called by jesus to live in unity to live in community together as as brothers and sisters brought together through Christ Jesus. That, that's the call. Okay, then how do we live that out? I, 
we we need a deep desire and hunger for cross-cultural Christian relationships. Mm. Um, when I pastored in Minneapolis, uh, when, when Sanctuary Covenant Church was, when we were in our beginning stages, we would have a, a meal every once in a while. And I would invite people to bring uh, a dish, to bring something that represented their background their upbringing, mm. their culture. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we had the enchiladas next to the collard greens, next to the fried rice, next to the hot dish. Um, and I would say, you know, unless there's something here that you're allergic to, try a little bit of everything. Just put a little bit mm. of everything on your plate. Not You don't have to put a whole lot. And, and so, and then I would say later, as we're digesting one another's foods, we, we need to digest one another's stories, mm. one another's pain, one another's dreams, one another's testimonies. Um, and, and I think that's so true today that um, we, we can't just sit in isolation mm. preserving what we already believe politically, socially. Um, we we need to open ourselves to transformation and reconciliation and empowerment by being blessed by the stories of others in the body of Christ that aren't of the same ethnicity, aren't of the same skin color, aren't of the same politics, to show that truly our relationship to Jesus is more powerful, is more transformative is, is, is worth surrendering to more than any institution or ideology of this world. So good. I love that image though, too, of just, um, of, of taking in someone else's story, someone else's just being curious, you know, to discover, I want to, you know, I want to know somebody, I want to get to know somebody who's different than me that maybe looks different, thinks different, you know, different background and, and get to know someone else. So do you have any, even just practically uh, someone listening might say, well, I don't even know where to start. You know, what, what would you say? How, how would they even begin if they're, you know, the reality is most of us tend to, if, unless we're intentional about it, right. We end up being with people that are like us. And so yeah. how, how can well, we be intentional? I, I would say allow God to lead you to hmm. different communities to get you off the normal path of mm. life. I mean, sometimes I have to explore a new, you know, I know we're in COVID, so we're a little restricted, but mm. I, I think people will get the point. Explore a different coffee shop. Mm. If, if you go into the same Starbucks, find a Starbucks, you might have to drive three more minutes out of the way, but by going to that other Starbucks, it gets you in proximity with other people that you normally wouldn't Mm. connect with. Is there another diner? Is there another cafe? Is there another uh, park? Is there, is there another place uh, to take a walk to? And, and I think what, what's going to be great about uh, the more we um, get on the other side of the COVID season, as we know it is people, (laughs) people are going to want to connect more than they seemed willing to connect before. It's interesting to me, even with a mask on, I go into a grocery store and it's like, everybody wants to say hi now. Everybody wants to nod their head. Everybody wants to say good morning. Everybody, you know what I mean? Everybody wants to, it just seems like people have been, you know, so restricted by COVID that there's like a new desire and hunger for connection. That's true. And I think we should take advantage of that across Mm. ethnicity, across race. Um, uh, I think churches should find sister church relationships Mm. across uh, urban, suburban, across ethnicity, across denomination. And um, I I think if, I I just really believe if we're willing and open, God will lead us places. God will lead us into relationships. I have found in my life, I've only needed to be surrendered and open to reconciliation and God seems to do the rest. Wow. I mean, I did, I I mean, 
I remember um, when we were really a, few, a couple of years ago, I mean, we're still in it, but a couple of years ago, it felt like we were just one after another, we were seeing these videos of unarmed African-Americans dying at the hands of police officers. Yeah. And yeah. I remember being so grieved by these videos and news reports, but I didn't want to have, you know, sustained anger and unforgiveness or hatred potentially mm -hmm. against police officers. Like I didn't want to feel that way. Mm -hmm. I, I, do, do I want reform? Do I want change? Do I want stronger relationships between urban communities, predominantly African-American communities and law enforcement? Of course, but I didn't. Well, first of all, my, my daughter is engaged to a police officer. So okay. My oldest daughter. <laughs> so I was like, I got to get that right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Son-in-law. So, um, and so I was like, God, I just remember um, I, I was going into a coffee shop at the time that I was going to just get some hot tea and sit down and just do some work on my laptop. And, and I was really wrestling. I was like, God, I just, I don't want to feel this way. I want to, I want to have connected, reconciling relationships with police officers. Hmm. And would you know it, a police officer walks in, orders a cup of coffee, and sits at a table right next to me. Wow. Wow. So I'm going, okay, God, I guess you, sometimes you answer fast. <laughs> and I just turn, he's right there next to me. And I just turned and I just was vulnerable and just shared my heart and he shared his heart. And I found out he was a Christian. He found out mm. I was a pastor and we mm. prayed together in that coffee shop. Wow. Then I go through soul care. Soon after that, I end up here at um, Bayside Midtown Church and the chief of police goes to my church. That's wow. And the deputy wow. chief of police goes to my church and Black Lives Matter activists go to my church. Wow. I, this, in my experience, I, I know that my life won't be everybody's story. I get that. But I just think when we surrender to God in certain areas, I think God honors the surrender. Yeah. And, and we don't have to work as hard as we think we do. We just have to be willing, open and surrender. I do like to uh, to kind of finish our interviews on uh, this podcast with just asking, what is it these days that's giving you hope and encouragement? What is it that is you, either as you look around or even your own life with God or just in what you're seeing, what is encouraging you these days? Um, I'm encouraged by people that I experience that in the midst of adversity, they still um, show such hope and joy. Wow. And so um, to, to meet people that I know personally that have had COVID, but they didn't lose their joy. Um, people that have lost loved ones to COVID. Um, people that have lost their jobs. And I'm, I'm praying to God as I head to church to meet with the person who's lost their job or lost a loved one to COVID. And we're getting ready to have this meeting where both of us have masks on and we're social distancing. And I get to church and the person comes in and there's such joy and hope in their heart. And I'm going, how can you, first of all, I'm, I thought I was supposed to help you get hope. I thought that was hey, my job. Right. But they come in already carrying hope and joy in the midst of suffering and sorrow and discomfort. And so that, that gives me, that gives me hope when I see um, people in times like these still show 
um, uh, their faith, their their belief that God will make a way somehow. Yeah. Um, you know, Ray Johnston, our founding global senior pastor at Bayside Church, says, you know, he says Christians are like tea bags. You you don't know what's in them until you put them in hot water. <laughs> and so, in times like these, unfortunately, we've seen examples where the worst comes out of Christians yeah. in challenging times. Mm -hmm. But I've also seen the best come out of Christians. Mm. And they may not be on the news. You, they, they may not have a lot of followers on social media, but I've been blessed to see Christians in the hot waters of these times and see the joy and the love and the grace and the generosity and the compassion and the justice of God come out of them. Mm. That's beautiful. That is, and I think because you were willing to, I, I guess part of it, I just would say, because you're willing to both look for it and pay attention when you saw it. It mm, seems yes. like, you know, if we, if we're only looking for the negative or, 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 or we're staying only in that space ourselves, then, then we're probably going to just see only that too. But uh, boy, Ephraim, just thank you so much for, for just this time. It's, uh, I feel like it, there's just such a richness to not only your journey, but, but uh, your, the ongoing work you're doing to point us towards the beloved community and the kingdom, which are really in, inseparable in the same thing, right? Um, yeah. And um, man, just so thankful and um, thank you for spending this time with us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to today's conversation. We hope it's been helpful to you. And we'd love to serve you in any way we can at Wellspring. For more information about who we are and what we do, please go to wellspringca.org or look us up on Facebook. Just search under Wellspring. Until next time, grace and peace.